As people are coming to sit down, if you want to grab your Bibles, we are going to be in the book of Ruth today. I was asked to do a little bit of a shorter sermon so that we could make it out to the picnic. So I thought, all right, I'll preach the entire book of Ruth in 25 minutes. All right. So yeah, that's good. It'll go well. I'll take uh, cream and sugar in my coffee once that line dies down in the back there. We'll get going, even though we still got people getting coffee. Get your coffee. Uh, there was a guy maybe some of you have heard of before. He was semi-famous, a man by the name of John Lennon, who once said, all you need is love, all you need is love, all you need is love, love, love is all you need. And we live in a culture today obsessed with the idea and journey of love. Virtually every form of media, whether it's a song or television, movie, book, boils down to a character seeking true love. You'll see characters in fiction that are willing to set aside all normal human reasoning and logic for the pursuit of love. Even in the real world, love seems to be an intoxicating drug that can lead the sanest of people to act truly crazy. Love can cause a person to willingly give up their life for the sake of another. Love can cause heartache like few other things in this world with the loss of a loved one. Love can make a famous artist think that the ultimate present for his girlfriend is his left ear. This is a true story. It really happened. Yes, Michaela, Vincent Van Gogh. He was a uh, painter and he had an interesting way of showing love to his girlfriend. He thought an ear in a box would be the best present. This is just an aside. This wasn't in the sermon notes. If someone gives you an ear in a box, that's probably not who you want to be with long term. It may not. If that's your meet cute story, you can share with me later that you proved me wrong, but it's probably not a good sign. I, I believe that all of humanity is searching for love. Everyone wants love and acceptance, and everyone wants to belong to something and be recognized and cared for. And I think that if you look at the Bible, there's something missing in every person's soul, and that is the joy that only comes from the love of the Lord. And there are a few places that we see greater examples of true, honest, committed love than the book of Ruth. So the easiest way to start a discussion of love in the book of Ruth is to make it abundantly clear that the theme of the entire book is love. And this is a love that's deeper than any romantic love or love for a brother or love for a friend. The type of love that the book of Ruth describes is something almost beyond real description. In Hebrew, I'm going to butcher some Hebrew here. Dr. Matthews can correct me later. It's known as, you got to really clear your throat on this one, chesed. Is that pretty close to, I don't know if I got enough in there. Chesed. I'm not going to clear my throat every time because I might lose my voice. I'm going to say chesed is the way that I'll pronounce it. But chesed is loosely translated. You'll see it in your, your different translations of the Bible as loving kindness, sometimes just as goodness, but that's not really giving us a full picture of what's happening there. It fails to capture how truly deep and sacrificial of a love that is being talked about. Hesed love is most clearly seen in God's love for Israel. Though Israel may abandon or forsake their relationship with God, he will not waver in his love for them. To a rational human, if you read the story of the Old Testament and the New Testament too, God appears almost loyal to a fault towards Israel. Why should he continue to forgive, provide, care for, and love a people who so routinely do not show it back, but even spit in his face? 
This is a love that seems incomprehensible to us as humans because we're broken beings. We're incapable of truly exhibiting this type of love the way that he does. Hesed is the type of love that is unconditional, inseparable, provides and cares, and is transformational. God demonstrates all of this daily in his love, uh, not only for Israel, but for all of creation. And in the book of Ruth, we see an entire event structured around this love as a hope to, to make it more knowable for us of what Hesed love actually is. So I'm going to We're going to summarize every chapter of the book of Ruth here. I'll read some verses to kind of hit the the main points, but you're going to hear the story of Ruth. We're going to start in chapter one looking at unconditional and inseparable love. So the first occurrence of Hesed love is seen in Ruth 1, verses 8 and 9. So our story here opens with uh, really our second main character next to Ruth, Naomi, who's married to Elimelech, solid boy's name if you're looking for one, and their two sons. And so these are all Israelites, and they're forced to move from their homeland of Israel to Moab because of a famine that's happening in Israel. After being there for a time, Elimelech passes away, and Naomi is left with only her sons. They both marry Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah. And after 10 years, those two sons pass away as well. So Naomi is understandably in a fragile place. She's had to leave her home, she's lost her husband, and she's lost her two sons. At this point, she's too old to remarry or birth any new children. And after hearing that Israel is past the famine, that that things are good there again, she tells her daughters-in-law she's going to return home, and she wishes Hesed upon them so that they can stay and find new Moabite husbands. So let's read Ruth 1, 8 and 9. It should be on the screen behind me too. It says, But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, that's the Hesed, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. So what Naomi is essentially saying is, I hope God will be kind and loving to you and gift you with a new husband since I've lost everything. And while the word hesed is used here, this is not the true picture of it that we actually see in chapter one. So Naomi knows that the Moabites are not really uh, viewed upon kindly by the Israelites. So she, she genuinely wishes for her daughters-in-law to stay behind, find new husbands, have children, be happy in Moab. Orpah finally agrees, knowing that if she were to go and live in Israel, it would be hard and potentially an unfruitful life. Ruth, on the other hand, she begins to show Naomi has said. So let's read Ruth 1, 16 and 17. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So this, this is some strong stuff. This is some strong love that Ruth is showing towards Naomi here. Uh, Hesed, the Hesed of Ruth is more than just, you know, fluffy love of like, oh, I just want to be nice to you. It's, we're talking about love with like a strong backbone here. If you're a Ford, Ford person in here, this is Ford tough, built for tough. Is that what they call it? Built for tough love? If you're a Chevy guy, it's like a rock love. 
I don't want want to divide the church here between cars here. This is love that's not going anywhere anytime soon, whether you like it or not. You could almost say that this kind of love is really downright inconvenient. Naomi, she just wants to be left alone. She just wants to be a bitter widow. But Ruth was not about to let her do it. That's how his said work. It rudely interrupts our personal pity parties and drags us back into the light of the living again. It's not about to leave us alone. So Ruth exclaims, where you go, I'll go. Your people will be my people. And most importantly, your God will be my God. So Ruth is showing a willingness to give up everything she knows and has believed to stay with Naomi. While Naomi has wished Hesed upon her extended family, it's actually herself that becomes the beneficiary of it. Naomi, by the end of chapter one, has become bitter and turned her back on God after all the pain that she had endured, much like we see with Israel over and over again towards God in the Old Testament. She wishes to cut ties and go and be miserable on her own. But Ruth, much like God towards Israel, refuses to leave her. Ruth pledges her love and loyalty to Naomi. This is both selfless and sacrificial. Ruth has nothing to gain from this. She will most likely never find a husband, will be treated poorly, being a foreigner in a different land, and will have to provide for Naomi. But Ruth is full of hesed. This is loyalty born out of love. This is unconditional love. God remains loyal to Naomi through Ruth, even though Naomi had turned her back on him. God does not give up and will provide a daily reminder of his physical presence through Ruth being there. God is also demonstrating what inseparable love is in chapter one. Ruth proclaims to her that she will never leave Naomi just as God never abandoned in Israel. If we go back to Joshua 1.5 when he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So that's chapter one of our picture of Hesed. In chapter two, we see love that, that provides and cares as Ruth goes to Israel with Naomi and seeks to find a way to feed the two of them. So what she does is she goes out into the field to glean, which means that she's going to pick up the leftovers of what's already been harvested. So just little grains is what she's picking up that's fallen to the ground. This would be extremely physical, exhausting work, but Ruth does not hesitate to do what she must to provide for the person she loves. While gleaning in the field, Ruth is noticed by the owner of the field, Boaz, our another another main character in our story. Boaz is a man of God and a distant relative of Naomi, and Boaz is soon going to join the Hesed party the more he observes Ruth. So there's, there's three deep examples of Hesed in chapter 2, even though the word is only used once at the end of the chapter in verse 20. Though the word may not be used, the action clearly is. First, we see Ruth's loyalty demonstrated in her willingness to work and do whatever it takes to provide for Naomi. So at the beginning of chapter 2, Ruth starts working. Boaz's men in the field notice Ruth working. Boaz notices, and he asks his men, what's the deal with this Ruth lady? This is what Boaz's men report about Ruth in Ruth 2.7. So Ruth said to the men, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So this shows the type of, of loyal love is not just an emotional pledge of devotion, 
but is a commitment that requires hard work and pain and significant sacrifice. Naomi has done nothing to deserve this from Ruth, just as we do not deserve the love of Christ or Israel, the love of God. We also see Boaz catch the Hesed fever. He provides protection and a place for Ruth to gather food. Let's read on uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge." Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So Boaz says, no one's going to touch her or disturb her. Why? Ruth has done nothing for Boaz. She's picking up loose grain off of his field. But Boaz sees how much Ruth loves Naomi and in turn is willing to show unconditional support and protection because of her example. He even goes on to allow her to have lunch with him and to glean near the best parts of the harvest. So Ruth has said is inspiring Boaz to do the same. And finally, we in chapter 2, we see the bitter heart of Naomi begin to soften when she hears of Ruth's hard work and how it has gained her favor in the eyes of Boaz. Naomi understood that for Boaz to go out of his way to protect Ruth is a rare and out of the ordinary action. Naomi wishes blessing from the Lord upon Boaz much as she did to Ruth and Orpah uh, earlier in chapter one. But this blessing or this wish for blessing rings with hope and optimism, which isn't really seen from Naomi before. Let's look at Ruth 2.20. Says, and Naomi said to her daughter in law, May he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness, this is has said there, has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also, also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers, which is about to come and play in chapter three. So Naomi is now realizing in her statement here that God is still loving and protecting her through Ruth and through the divine intervention that Ruth just happened to be working in Boaz's field. Hesed, it would seem, has become contagious, and Boaz and Naomi have become stricken with it. So then we go on to chapter 3. We see transformational love in chapter 3. Naomi quickly creates a plan for Ruth to essentially propose to Boaz so that he may become their kinsman redeemer. Now, a kinsman redeemer was a Jewish custom where a relative of a widow could marry her and buy the land that her husband owns and then help her have children so that the name of the inheritance of the deceased husband could be passed down to the son. So it's to keep, keep the honor of the name of the son still going. This comes into play if the kinsman redeemer isn't married yet themselves, which Boaz wasn't. This is a purely voluntary act 
on the part of the kinsman redeemer, but because Naomi knows that Boaz is from the same clan as Elimelech, her her, uh, dead husband, and since he has shown an interest in Ruth, she turns into like a matchmaker from a romantic comedy here, and she tells Ruth to, this sounds weird, go sleep at the feet of Boaz. Now, by doing this, this is, it's a Jewish custom of you're showing uh, a, a servant would normally sleep under the feet of a master, so it's showing humble submission, but it's also a way for Ruth to essentially propose to Boaz. She's going to startle Boaz into saying, oh, who are you? Why are you there? And she's going to say, so that you can be my kinsman redeemer. I, w- I want this to work. So she, she's taking the first step here. It's the, what is that, Sadie Hawkins dance? That's what this is. It's the Sadie Hawkins dance towards marriage. So again, we see the renewed optimism in Naomi, and she begins to finally take some action in this story. Ruth faithfully follows Naomi's instructions, and she lies at Boaz's feet once he is asleep. When Boaz is awoken around midnight and realizes there's somebody sleeping at my feet, he is amazed at the character of Ruth. Let's read Ruth 3, 8 through 13. At midnight... The man, Boaz, was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, which, whether rich or poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. That means closer in in relations. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So Boaz recognizes Ruth's hesed, that she is willing to follow Naomi's instructions and that Ruth would choose someone like Boaz because she places such high value on his character as a person and ignores that he is an older man. Now, looking at commentaries, some people think Boaz could have been between 55 and 80 years old. That's old if he's not married yet and she is a younger woman. Now, younger woman here, commentary says she could be somewhere probably between 30 and 45 years old. So there's an age gap here. But most of all, the fact that anyone would show interest in him when he's got hard workers in the field, he's like, wow, okay, I can't believe, like, uh, I guess I got the silver fox thing going. I don't know. He's impressed that she would come after him. Um, but Boaz, being someone who has demonstrated, has said himself, he is now overwhelmed by Ruth's action, and he immediately agrees to help as a kinsman redeemer so long as no one else takes claim. So with Boaz willingly accepting his duty, we see that Ruth has said has transformed Naomi from really a bitter, pessimistic, unhopeful character of chapter one into a believer of how the Lord can provide. This cycle is also seen time and time again throughout Israel's history as they transition from, from believing to then falling away with only God remaining constant in the relationship and restoring them back to who they were. This is a love that never fails. In fact, when when Paul writes about love in in 1 Corinthians 13, which probably all of you used in your wedding ceremony, he really is describing hesed. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through the beginning of verse 8 says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That's what has said love is supposed to look like. So we get to the conclusion of our story here in chapter four, and we see the hope of pure love. Boaz, at the beginning of the story, he convinces the nearer kinsman redeemer to allow him to be the redeemer instead. And at the end of chapter four, we see the wedding of Ruth and Boaz and them giving birth to Obed. Naomi's transformed personality is demonstrated at the end uh, of this chapter. She praises God for how he has protected and provided for her and Ruth. Naomi can now recognize how God was loyal and faithful to the end, even when she was not. But the story doesn't end there. In fact, the story of Ruth continues for centuries. Obed is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David, who would eventually in his line bear the Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah, would one day die on the cross for all humanity, not just the Israelites, to show what pure, undeserved, sacrificial love truly is. Much as Boaz was the kinsman redeemer for Ruth and Naomi, Christ is the kinsman redeemer for humanity. Everyone desperately needs a redeemer because our sin has left us broken. We all need someone who can redeem us and restore us to the wholeness that God intended. And for this to happen, there needs to be hesed. This type of love enables Jesus to act with loyalty, compassion, and mercy, and gives the motivation and basis for him to redeem us. If Boaz was selfless and shows an integrity and commitment in redeeming Ruth, how much more so does our Savior show us, uh, show us love by taking on the burden of sin from all people so that we can be made right with God? It's a type of love that no matter how hard I or anyone else up here tries to describe and explain, no matter what worship songs we sing, no matter how hard we try to live it out, we really cannot do Christ's love justice. And I think that's the point. Christ loved and died for us while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, not because we deserved his sacrifice, but because he would do anything to pursue us and rescue us. Let me try to tell a story to help illustrate this. A husband who had battled a mysterious illness for months found himself at the hospital with his wife undergoing a series of tests. And after the last test, the doctor told the man he could get dressed and motioned to his wife to follow him out into the hall. And the doctor explained to the wife that her husband had a rare blood disease and immediate treatment was necessary. She said, you know, of course, doctor, what, what do I need to do to help? The doctor explained how the man needed rest, that he shouldn't work anymore. He's going to need two to three hour nap in the middle of every day. On top of that, his diet needed to be considered. The husband needed three well-balanced home-cooked meals every day without exception. The cleanliness of the house was another issue that the doctor was concerned about because any bit of dust taken in the lungs could really affect the husband's health at this point. Finally, the husband would require three massages a day in order to increase the blood flow to the limbs and throughout the body. The doctor asked if the wife understood all this and that without this approach, the disease would soon take her husband's life. Wiping the tears from her eyes, she nodded that she understood and she thanked the doctor for the time and the attention. She collected herself and walked back into the examination room where her husband was putting on his shoes. They looked at her and asked, what did the doctor say? To which the wife replied, the doctor says you're going to die. <laughs> okay, that's not where you thought that story was going, right? 
That sounded like, oh, wow, what a great picture of what this wife is going to do. As you heard it, you get the idea of what has said would have looked like. The wife should have done anything for the husband who loved her. Instead, she doesn't, and it's a joke at the end. Well, Jesus has gone above and beyond to show you love. And as you're sitting here and listening, I want you to understand he wants nothing more than for you to love him back and accept the love he has for you. If he has shown such love, why would we not accept it? So Ruth's journey of Hesed ends up being a part of the history of the Savior of the world. It's amazing how the theme not only travels through the book and is a mirror of God's relationship with Israel, but it's a a picture of God's relationship with us today. So how are we as 21st century Christians uh, to view the story of Ruth? Well, I think we need to recognize that God is the only one who is capable of true has said, but that we as humans are still capable of showing it in some regards as well. What Ruth and Boaz manifest is what Jesus puts in the form of a command in John 15, 12. Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he models this for us in the next verse, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. So this story should remind us or should remind us that God's love never runs out or stops, even for a second. He had a hand on Naomi and Ruth, even when it was hard for them to see it. He continued to love Israel, even when they abandoned him. He loves you and me, even when we mess up. His love will be with us, even when we are bitter and don't want it and don't feel like we deserve it. And because of that, we need to show it to others. Hesed requires action. Ruth's action in the field, Boaz's action as kinsman redeemer, Christ's action on the cross. One of the things I I try to make clear to our students and and hammer in their heads all the time is that if you accept the love of Jesus Christ and cannot turn around and show it to your family, your friends, the person who cuts you off in traffic, or that enemy that you've had a grudge against for years, something is not adding up. How can we so freely accept forgiveness and love from our Savior and refuse it to give it to those who have hurt us. Sometimes said is tough, but we are called to love each other as he has loved us. So maybe for some of you, there's a feeling of conviction going through you about the person that you have not been showing love to, and you need to start doing it. There might be a hurt you need to let go of and show forgiveness just like Jesus is willing to show you. For others, you may need to pray for God to open your eyes to the world and find the people who are craving someone to show them love and acceptance, and you're the person to do that. I hope that that husbands and wives, that you're inspired by the example of Ruth and Boaz and work to love each other more, not expecting anything in return. Maybe there's some wives that need to pick up on what it looks like to truly love your mother-in-law, like Ruth does for Naomi. I didn't see any elbowing. Good. That's good. I was wondering if I was going to get any of those. Good. We all love our mothers-in-laws here. I love mine. And for those of you, I do, it's true. And for those of you who don't yet have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I hope as you listen about this indescribable love that you want to be a part of that. If you're ready to surrender your life to him, admit that you are a sinner, that you have no hope of receiving eternal life except through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and that he proved 
he was God and that sin and death were defeated when he rose from the dead three days later. Don't wait to make that decision. God wants to forgive you of your sins and show you how his love can transform. When Jesus was asked in Matthew 22 what the greatest commandment was, he responded, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. As it turns out, love is all you need. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your hesed. Thank you for your unfailing love to us, that even while we were still sinners and enemies of you and um, lost in our rebellion, that you still sent your son to be a perfect sacrifice on the cross for our sins so that we could be made right with you, so we could come into fellowship with you. Jesus, thank you for um, what you endured on the cross, for not just the physical pain, but that spiritual pain of, of taking our sins into yourself when you knew no sin so that we would not have to take the punishment and judgment that we deserved. God, I pray that those who have accepted uh, your forgiveness and have been transformed by your love, that they truly would be transformed in every aspect of their lives. That for uh, husbands and wives, that they will love each other well, like we see from Ruth and Boaz. That for parents, they will love their children well and take care of them. That our kids will look to their parents with love and respect. That the friends that we have and, and the classmates we come across, that uh, we, would, we would see them the way you do, as broken people in need of a Savior and in need of love. Help us to be a picture of your love to others around us, much like Ruth was, was for Naomi in this story. And God, if there's anyone uh, here today who has not yet accepted your love, I pray you just would make it obvious to them of how much you love them, of what you've given up for them, and how you'll continue to pursue them to the ends of the earth to make them one of your own. I pray that you would break down any walls in people's hearts, that they would understand their need for you, their need for forgiveness, and know that they can't do this on their own. God, I thank you for uh, the love of this church community, of how we can uh, come together uh, under the, the, the unity of the gospel, that um, that's the thing that binds us together for the way that we serve one another, the way we take care of each other's needs, the way that we pray for one another and, and look into one another's lives. May we be a church that is marked by our love for each other and our love for you. I pray these things through Jesus' name. Amen.